Our scripture this morning comes out of Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. And then we're going to jump to Jesus' third story. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with the prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God for the people of God. You can be seated. So just curious here, show of hands, how many of you remember using maps? I mean the foldable paper kind of maps, okay? Yeah, you know you're show, revealing your age there a little bit, right? Uh, if you're under the age of 30, you don't know what I'm talking about, talk to one of those people, raise their hand, I'll explain how we used to get these maps, and now you don't need them, right? We have GPS, it's on our phones, it's easy to get wherever we want to go, and uh, I, I love it. And I, I gotta say, it has been a blessing for my marriage. Because she, I drive, Linda was a navigator, and then she would fall asleep. Five minutes in a car, she'd fall asleep. And uh, then she would say that I was lost. I was just discovering alternative routes to get where I was going, and we would have these arguments. When, when uh, we were, before the church started, we did, went up to Indiana to uh, see a church that had begun, and they were meeting in a theater. I thought it'd be cool. And so, we get up, we get to Indiana, and uh, Linda falls asleep, and uh, I'm driving, and she wakes up, where are we? We're in Indiana, I know that. <laughs> Beyond that, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so GPS, none of that anymore, right? We know where we're going, it gets us there. And I thought, you know, it's kind of interesting. Getting lost on the road is a thing of the past. There's, there's just really no reason to get lost, uh, unless a Siri, you know, just gets confused one day. Generally speaking, you're going to get there. I wish I could say that about life. I wish I could say that lostness is a thing of the past, but it's one of the metaphors, it's one of the um, words that Jesus uses to describe people who um, have not yet found God's love. And uh, the reality is we're all born into this world needing to be reconciled to God and, and needing to come to discover a relationship with Jesus. And until that day, we, we are lost. Now, many of us, when we think of the word lost, we have images in our mind. And they're usually um, of, of someone in a really bad state, you know? And we just say, oh, they're just really lost. But in New Testament thinking, it's, it's much broader than that. It's like all of us, every one of us. We're just, we're just lost in different ways. And it manifests itself differently. So, in Luke 15, we have this unusual chapter because it's the only place in the four Gospels 
where Jesus gives three parables that are almost identical in theme in a row. It's the only place he does this. Um, and, and in each, it's a parable of the lost um, uh, sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and what we typically call the parable of the lost son. And there's three commonalities in these parables. First of all, something of great value turns up missing. Second, an all-out search is made to find that lost thing. And then thirdly, when that lost thing is found, there's a great celebration and a party. And so Jesus tells these stories about lostness. That's all three. Why? Well, Luke gives us the context, the setting, sets up the chapter. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Let's read that again. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, and he told them three parables, all about lostness. One of the common complaints in his ministry was that Jesus hung around people that were not commonly uh, involved in synagogue or excluded from the synagogue. And uh, they weren't happy about him doing this. So Jesus gives these parables, and it's really important to understand who the audience is. Who's the audience for these parables on lostness? Well, the sinners and tax collectors are there, but it's, it's the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders who are complaining about Jesus. Notice it says, when they saw him eating with them, he muttered. They muttered, the crowd muttered. That describes one of my favorite words in the English language is onomatopoeia. You know that word? It's a great word. It's got eight vowels in it, by the way. I don't know if there's any other word in English that has eight vowels, but there you go, onomatopoeia. And you know what it is? It, it's, a, it's a word that's spelled out like it sounds, and it's describing the, the, the audible sound that is made. So like buzz is an onomatopoeia. Hiss is an onomatopoeia. Mutter is an onomatopoeia. Let's illustrate. Okay, here's what I want everybody to do. Just start, at, just, you don't have to scream, just talk normal talking things. Just start saying mutter several times in a row. Ready, set, go. Man, that makes a pastor want to leave the stage, let me tell you. <laughs> that's scary, all right? Do you hear that? Yeah, that's what was going on. That, that, that what's happening when Jesus is, is um, accosted by these religious leaders because he's hanging out with, with sinners, tax collectors, um, and the, the reality is, when you study the Gospels, Jesus' most consistent opponents were the religious leaders. In fact, it, it's a recurring theme down through history. When people are coming to faith in Jesus, when, when people are entering the kingdom, there's usually the critics who are muttering. What John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, um, wound up preaching most of the time out in the open air in the fields because the religious establishment of his day, even though he was an ordained Anglican priest, would not allow them in, him in the churches. He went to preach at his home church where he grew up. His dad pastored Epworth 39 years. And they wouldn't let him in and preach in the building. So went out famously, stood on the tombstone and preached to thousands of people. Um, because he was reaching coal miners and glass factory workers and rough people that were kind of outside the, the bounds of the church of that day. So why is this? Why are the, the Pharisees and religious leaders so offended by Jesus and his approach? Why is it that religious people can be so offended when some people come to faith in Jesus? That's a, that's a good question. Um, 
I, I think it's a problem of how we see things. It's a seeing problem, it's a sight problem. It's a problem of, of how we see ourselves, of how we see the world around us, and how we see God. And what I wanna to share today as we wrap up this series that we've called Unoffendable, I know that's not a proper English word, but it really captures what we're trying to capture. It's my word for the year. I keep repeating this like every day throughout this year. Is that when we see things as God sees them, we'll be unoffendable. All right, so let's, let's go to this story. We're, we're gonna look at the third story that Jesus tells. And we're not gonna look at the first part, um, which is the, the part about the younger son, just except to give a little context. By the way, I've probably preached on this passage more than any other of any passage in the Bible. I, I just found the, the, the story so rich, this story. And I, I think it captures the heart of the gospel in many respects. We're gonna go to the middle of the story. All right, and um, I want us to see something here. Again, the problem is sometimes we're so offendable because it's how we see ourselves. It's a problem of sight. Um, this has been called through the years the parable of the lost son, right here in my Bible. In fact, the little headline, a little heading over it says the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. Wait, wait a minute, verse 11. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. Ooh. This isn't about just one son. This is about two. See, there's actually two Real, really different ways of being lost. And if you've heard me preach on this before, I'd love to pull out the Rembrandt painting. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son, all right? And uh, here's this famous painting. I have one copy of my office because I, I constantly look at that photo and I, I wanna be like the father. And I, I, got, I gotta go to St. Petersburg at the Hermitage and see it in person. It's like 12 foot tall, it's magnificent. But here's two ways. Let's zoom in on the, the younger son. We might uh, call this pigsty lostness. If you, if you know the story, the younger son comes to his dad one day and says, Dad, I, I, I want my inheritance. I want it now, which was another way of saying, Dad, I really wish you were dead because I want the money now. And the dad agrees and gives him the money. Says he goes off and he spends everything he has on wild living. And then he, he has nothing left. So he has to go and work for a pig farmer, which is a really low rung kind of job for a Jewish boy. And in fact, he has no money to buy food and, he, and he, he longs to eat the food that the pigs are eating. And then one day, it says he comes to his senses. We'll go back to that, the painting. And you'll see Rembrandt captures the guy, he's in rags, that, that was the underwear of the day when Rembrandt painted this. Notice one shoe is, is completely torn off, uh, uh, worn out his head shaven maybe because of lice. This is, this is a, a, the typical way we think of lostness. Self-indulgent, undisciplined, foolish behavior that winds, that, that leads you into the ditch. Yeah. But there's another kind of lostness. Now, let's zoom in on the, the elder brother. Doesn't Rembrandt do a fabulous job of capturing contempt. You can see it in his eyes. As he looks down his nose at this younger brother that he's come to hate. Unlike the father whose arms are extended 
in, in welcoming. Notice his hands, they're closed. He's not happy about this at all. In fact, we're told that he's angry. Uh, this, we can say, is elder brother lostness. Uh, what are the symptoms of this kind of lostness? We know the other one. We know the story of the person who just wrecks their life and runs it into a ditch, you know, complete collapse. We get that. And we love to hear those turnaround stories, don't we? But what does elder brother lostness look like? Well, let's, let's see what the story tells us. Verse 28 says the older, so older brother switches to him. He comes walking back to the house and he hears all this dancing and music and, and he's like, what's going on? He pulls aside one of the servants and says, what's happening? He said, ah, your, your brother's come back. Your long lost brother. We thought he was dead. You know, he's, he's actually alive and he's, he's there and the, your dad's so excited. He's throwing a party and he killed the fattened calf and man, we're having a big celebration. What's his, his reaction? You say, oh my gosh, I can't wait to see him. No. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Why is he angry? Um, story begins when the younger brother asked for his inheritance the father agreed and divides it among them he gives it all away Another, it didn't, at death in those days the oldest son would get two thirds of the estate if there were ten kids the other nine kids got the other third but the oldest got two thirds alright there were only two sons in this family so the oldest Brother, he gets two-thirds. The youngest gets a third. The youngest goes and wastes his money. Just, it's, it's all gone. So who has the estate? The older brother. So really, it, it, later he'll say, everything I have is yours. That's literally true. He's given his inheritance to his sons. A third of it's gone. And now the older brother. Friends don't miss, this has financial implications. The older brother's looking at him and saying, wait, wait, you're throwing a party? Who, whose pocketbook is this coming out of? And oh, and he's going to be here now? Who's going to pay for him? Who, who's going who's to cover him? I guess that's me. And I think there's other reasons why he's angry, as we'll see as the story goes on. A lot of our anger comes from simply unmet expectations. That's, always, that's, a, that's a very common source of anger, just in a general sense. We've talked a lot about anger in this series. Anger is a normal human emotion, but it can very quickly turn sinful. In fact, the ancients have called it a deadly sin. The emotion itself is not the problem, it's what happens next. Anger also often comes from an unmet expectation. Let's say you're going to work and you want to get there on time. You have an important meeting. You don't want to show up late. You do, and there's traffic. And, and the traffic is, is, is slowing you up and you're going to be late. What do you do? You get angry. Why? Because you expected to get there on time and you're not. So you're angry. It's an unmet expectation. Or, or uh, there's a promotion at work and you were pretty sure that you were in line to get the promotion. It doesn't go to you. It goes to somebody else. You're angry. Even though it was never promised to you, you're angry. Why? Because... In your heart, you kind of expected that. That's what happens. And so the elder brother 
had expectations. Now, elder brother lostness um, has a degree of respectability with it and that's why we don't see it as lost. The real insidious danger of elder brother lostness is that they never know they're lost. They think they're great. They're at home. They don't go anywhere. And often, this isn't always true, I don't want to stereotype, but often the oldest in the family is the firstborn, uh, will sometimes feel closer to the parents, you know, than, than to the other siblings. My, our, we have old, our daughter and three boys. My daughter always associated herself with me and Linda, not with the boys, you know. It was her and, and the boys, you know. That's typical. But then they'll often be the rule keeper. Uh, they'll be uh, very diligent about things, very responsible. Now, again, I don't want to be stereotypical, but that's what's going on here. He, ne- he never leaves home. He works hard. Um, and, and yet, he's far from home. His heart is far, far from his father, as we see. Sometimes elder brothers really good. They don't break the law, the moral people, but they're good for all the wrong reasons. Elder brothers kind of have this bargain with God. It's never really spoken. It's never, and it's certainly not written down, but elder brothers um, have this sort of, I'm going to do good so that God will give me a good life. I'll keep the rules, I'll obey all the traffic, I'll obey all the, the rules and culture, I'll, I'll go to church, I'll, I'll uh, give my money, I'll um, you know, join the civic clubs, I'll do all the stuff that's really respectable. And in turn, God's part is to give me a good life. We'll be careful though. If that life disappoints them in any way, they get angry. Anger is very common among elder brothers. And I speak as an elder brother. I never follow the path of the youngest son. We get angry. Because we, like, we, we expected life to turn out differently. And, and God, I, I've, I've, I've done good. You haven't kept your part of the deal, God. That's what's going here. It's sort of this bargain, and it's a self-righteousness that has a lot of pride associated with it. And as we see, and we ask the question, who's more lost? Well, they're both lost, but in different ways. But where's the real danger? Go back to verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. The younger one, the wild one, the crazy one, the one who blew all the money, he came home. The older brother doesn't. And all the religious leaders are feeling it because Jesus is telling the story for them. Another, so there, one uh, characteristic of elder brothers is that they're angry. Another one is that they're is joyless, fear-based compliance going on in his speech. Go to verse 29. It says he became angry. Father pleads with him, but he, the elder brother, answered his father, look. In the original, it's look, you. It's a very disrespectful way of talking to his father. 
See, his heart gets revealed here. Look, you, all these years I've slaved for you. There's a real insight. I never disobeyed your orders. Father doesn't contradict that, so he probably never did. Probably obeyed everything he was told to do. Yet you've never given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Yeah, he's having this great party with brisket and steak and, you know, all the great cuts. And you haven't even given me a happy meal with my friends, Dad. <laughs> he's not happy. Um, why is he serving the father? Because he loves him? And he says, I've been slaving for you. Some might call that a Freudian, Freudian slip. Reveals his heart. He's not, in the, he's not serving at the ranch because he loves his dad and is so, he's amazed by the great father that he has no. He sees it as slaving. He resents it, really. He resents it. How we see ourselves is the problem. So go back to the painting, and you see the one was lost but is found, and the other, he's lost. Will he be found? Some of us are easily offended because it's how we see ourselves, and we don't see our true condition of lostness. Secondly, it's how we see the world. Now, go back to the parable, his little speech to his dad. But when this son of yours, notice he doesn't own his brother. I always tell him when my kids were really in trouble because Linda said, your son, <laughs> your son, <laughs> when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Prostitutes? Huh. Whenever Toadie visited prostitutes. I wonder if the older brother fantasized about that and projected his own fantasies on his younger brother. See, he was at home, but he was far from the father. It's how we see the world. He sees the bad. And this was common among the Pharisees. Um, in the story, yeah, the, it's all true what he says about the, except the prostitutes, we don't know that's true. It's all true, he, he did wreck his life. But he came home. He's back. Can we celebrate? Jesus would sometimes do miracles. A, a leper, his, cleansed of his leprosy, or a, a, a man who couldn't walk, one famous famous story, man who was lame, couldn't walk, and Jesus heals him, and the only thing the Pharisees can see is that he healed him on the Sabbath, and they're really mad that he broke the rules. Like, whoa, 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 do you see this man who's, who's been lame for many, many years, and he's walking? No. The problem is, if, if we're not careful, we can learn to train our eyes to only see the bad things in the world and not the good. So easy. Um, for, to do this. And there's a lot of things in this world that are really bad. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's broken in this world and there's a lot of stuff that can, I mean, if you just focus on it, it will get you angry. 
I, I used to watch cable news. I haven't watched cable news in years. I just found it just, just uh, messed with my soul. And, and years ago, there was this, I, I don't remember his name, and I'm not picking on anybody, but he had one of the features of his show was Outrage of the Day. Friends, you can have an outrage of the day every day, 100 outrages of the day. There was um, a, a Christian podcast I used to listen to, and I, stopped, I just deleted it because um, they're always talking about all the problems with the evangelical church, always saying, well, evangelicals do this. And then uh, there's some truth in what they say, but it's like, come on, man. All you see is the negative. There's a lot of good in this world, but still, what should our posture be towards this world out here? And all the stuff we don't like going on there, what should our posture be? Well, Jesus tells us what his is, the most famous verse in the Bible. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Then he says, for God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What's God's body? God loves the world. Instead of seeing the world as a broken place that makes us mad because of this, that, or the other thing, what if we saw it as a mission field? What if we saw lost people who don't agree with us on anything as people deeply loved by God? Friends, here's the truth. You've never locked eyes with anyone who's not deeply loved by the Father. Even if everything about their life is contrary to the gospel, everything about their life infuriates you, every, every choice, every political belief they have, every, every social belief they have. What if that's a mission field? In the parable, I, I, I said that these three parables have three things in common. That's not exactly true. I said that, that something of value is lost. That happens in all three. It's the sheep, the coin, the son, sons. And then, then an all-out search is made and then rejoicing. Notice in the third parable, no one goes looking for the younger brother. There's no search. Now, the father waits expectantly on the road for him to come back. Now, we miss that because it's not our culture. In that day, it was expected that the eldest would look after the siblings. And if the siblings went off the rail, it was the job of the older brother to rescue, to go and do what they could to bring that sibling back. The older brother should have walked in and said, Dad, I know our brother, my brother's made a mess of his life. And I've heard that he's out, has nothing to live on, no food to eat. I'm going to go get him. I'm going to bring him home. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He says he comes to his senses and he finds his way back. Um, there's, I don't have time to get into it, but there's a lot of similarities between this story and a story of two other brothers that we looked at a couple weeks ago, Cain and Abel. Cain, after he kills his brother, God confronts him and says, where's your brother? And he responds famously, am I my brother's keeper? God doesn't answer it. It's a brilliant way, as Moses writes that account, to say, yeah, actually, you are your brother's keeper. Yeah. And see, when the church is at its best is when we see people who are far from God, the, the younger brothers and sisters who've gone astray, who've really strayed far from the Father, 
It's our job to go get them. And it's a beautiful thing. And we can celebrate that when we see it. I love that this happens in so many ways. I think Alpha is one of the ways that it happens at our church. Another is through our prison ministry, which has been going on, oh, 17, 18, 19 years now, uh, down at Southeast Correctional Center. They had the Global Leadership Summit a few weeks ago. They're down there every Tuesday night and Saturday, volunteers from our church. It's awesome. And they just recently did Rooted. And remember the cardboard testimonies that we'll see here on our Rooted celebrations, right? It was kind of a before description of their life before and then after. They go through and zoom in and see some of these things these guys wrote on theirs. Yeah. Empty, lonely, frustrated, upset, downhearted, hurt, untrusting, anxious. And then they flip the cardboard over. Look at that. Filled, accepted, hopeful, grateful and joyful, peaceful and forgiving, confident. Isn't that good? That God is doing that? Because we have some older brothers in our church who've taken their responsibility seriously and they go down there to love on those men and to point them to Jesus. Um... So how do we see the world? I say this because the, the truth is a lot of churches are populated by elder brothers and former younger brothers who got their lives put back together and have forgotten where they once were. So it's how we see ourselves, it's how we see the world. And sometimes we're offendable and we're easily offended because it's how we see God. We don't see God the kind of God that he is is revealed in Jesus. Um, this story has traditionally been called the parable of the prodigal son. I uh, read a book by Tim Keller 15, 18 years ago, and we did a series on this. Some of you have been at LaCroix a long time ago. Remember, we did a series on his book, Forever Changed How I See the Parable. He, he wrote a masterful book called the, Par- the, the Parable of the Prodigal God. And it's prodigal literally means recklessly spend thrift. Spend until nothing's left. You know what this story is? It's a story about reckless grace. Most people who would have heard the story when Jesus told originally would have thought the father was foolish. Foolish, first of all, for granting the younger son's request to give him his share of the inheritance before he died. Foolish for waiting outside along the road, hoping every day that his son would return. And then thirdly, welcoming him back and not expecting or demanding repayment of his inheritance. Instead, he gives him a ring, shoes to put on his feet, gives him a robe, throws him a party, and no lecture. He's just welcomed and loved and brought back into the family. Friends, that's grace. And many lost younger sons down through the ages have experienced that grace and we've heard their stories and some of you, that's your story. You went off on the wild side but you found God or more appropriately, God found you and your life was forever changed. There was a very evil, wicked man who took, the lyri- who took this verse. When the father says, listen to these words, let me read this, let me go back, back up a bit. Listen how this parable ends. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. It's true. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
Inspired by that lyric, a very wicked, evil man who sold human beings for a living met Jesus. And he wrote those words, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. John Newton was one of those younger brothers who came to his senses and came to faith in Jesus. Father, look at the Father. Friends, if we would spend more time looking at the Father instead of looking at all the problems in the world, I, I don't want to deny the problems. I don't want to, we, we've got to roll up our sleeves and get to work about the problems in the world, absolutely. But just to be angry and complain and moan about it, no. If we'd spend more time looking at the Father, we'd be more hopeful people. Look at the Father. My gosh, he gives it away. He waits expectantly for his son. He throws him a party. He receives him back. What a generous father. What an amazing father. That's why I have that painting in my office. I want to be more like that. Big-hearted and gracious. Always willing to forgive. Always willing to welcome people. Um, And if you do that, see what happens when you focus on the Father, what happens? Your life gets filled with gratitude. And here's the thing. Test me on this. Go ahead. Gratitude and anger cannot coexist in your heart. You'll either be angry and not grateful or you'll be grateful. And you'll see God and you'll just be grateful for all that he has done for you And the anger about all the stuff will be gone. And then you'll roll up your sleeves and you'll go on search for those lost younger brothers and sisters. Oh, how good the Father is. Now, if we would learn to see ourselves differently, learn to see the world differently as a world that God loves and gave his son for, if, if we would learn to see God differently, the whole problem of being offended all the time would just simply melt away. Um, once you see, God seeks for us in different ways. Um, sometimes it's dramatic, and we hear those dramatic conversion stories of the younger brothers and sisters who just made a wreck of their lives, and then sometimes God search, search for us looks like quiet and patient pleading. Jesus masterfully leaves this story without an ending. He has pleaded with the older brother. They stand there face to face and the question is, does he come in and join the party? What's amazing is that Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees, his deadliest enemies, and he's pleading with them, come on in, there's enough grace for you too. How good Jesus is. He wasn't pharisaical about the Pharisees or judgmental about their judgmentalism. He loved them and was appealing to them in the story, come on in. Come and join the party. Will you join the party? 
Maybe your life is in the ditch. Come on home. Maybe you've obeyed everything. You're an upstanding citizen and you know in your heart that you don't know the Father like this. Come on home. Come in the party. Let's have a party together. Let's pray. What a father you are. And Jesus, what a savior you are. That you would give this story to your deadliest enemies and appeal to them and plead with them to come in to the kingdom. Oh, thank you. Father, forgive us when we go through life just offended at this and offended at that. Instead, let us be people of prayer and see this world as a mission field that needs your love just like we found your love. May we offer it recklessly to all, to anyone. And may we go out on that search until we find that lost son or daughter and celebrate as all the angels in heaven celebrate. Just as the angels celebrate when one of us elder brothers come to our senses and come home. So right now, if you want to say, I, I want to come home, I want to, I want to know the Father, I want to join the party in your heart, would you just go ahead and say that? Maybe you're the older brother, maybe you're the younger brother, you're the older sister, the younger sister. Would you say that to the Father? Oh, he'll receive you with open arms and he'll throw you a party. So Father, thank you for those who've prayed that prayer and thank you that um, the doors to the party are always open. Thank you for being the good incredible father that you are. Jesus, thank you for being the savior that you are. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you are wooing us and drawing us into the party. Amen. We're so glad you tuned in today. If you liked this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. If you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out LaCroixChurch.org. We hope to see you again soon.